Every manufacturer knows how hard it is to break into a new market, to change perceptions, and for their audience to actually adopt their product over a competitor or a traditional way of doing things. On today's episode, we bring on one of the few startups in the building materials space to share their successes and their failures in launching their product. Regardless of how large your company is, he has some great insights into what you should focus on if you want your product to be accepted by your audience. All right, let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popnikolov. And today we're going to be talking about launching new products. Innovation and product development is a really interesting topic in building materials. And a lot of manufacturers look at their products as their separating, differentiating factor within their business. But today we're going to be talking about it from a little bit of a different angle. And we're going to talk about it from the disruption. Oh my gosh, is that a spider on your on your camera? Did you see that? Yeah, that wasn't... I- Oh, that is mine. I just, I just really want credit for putting uh, it together just then. You oh were talking, my gosh, that was incredible. Scream, yeah, I, and I just need someone to acknowledge that. Oh my gosh, we should keep that in the podcast. There was literally, for those listening, there was a spider crawling over Jonah's camera in the oh, middle of this awful. intro. <laughs> the greatest intro of all time. Well, I don't know how we're going to top that on this episode, but we, we're going to be talking about product <laughs> development, product launches. And the startup space within building materials. And we've got an awesome guest who's going to be joining us. His name is Jonah Lupton. He's the CEO of SoundGuard, and he's based out of Boston, Massachusetts. So welcome to the show, Jonah. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. And now I have spider guts all over my fingers. So oh my <laughs> <laughs> Beth's not going to be able to recover. He was, he was big <laughs> enough to kind of cover up the camera. Out. Jonah, we're excited to have you because you have such a unique perspective as one of the very few startups in the building materials industry, like a true pioneer. And I think you've got so much to share with our audience about not only what it's like to be a startup, as you were mentioning just before we started recording, is that, you know, typically innovation happens within the very well-established companies. So you're fighting not only a very established industry that's not really known for adapting to change, but also some really big names in the industry as well. So we're really looking forward to hearing you share about how you're actually making those large names partners and what your experience has been in getting the channel to adopt a very new and never heard of before product. With all of that said, why don't you tell us a bit about SoundGuard and how you guys got started? Okay. So yeah, technically the company's based in Boston right now, but Honestly, we just work out of a co-working space and most of us work from home. And I probably spend three weeks a month on the road traveling to meet with these customers and start these pilot programs and whatnot. So we're not really in Boston very often, but technically that is the headquarters. So four years ago, I was living in North Carolina in a townhouse. So I had neighbors on both sides of me. So shared walls on both sides. And I would hear them in the morning. I would hear them during the day. I would hear them at night. You know, just your traditional thin walls. And Back then, I was running a software company, so I had no idea what thin walls really meant. But anyways, I went to the landlord and I asked him if he could do something with the walls. You know, can you soundproof them, make them better or whatever? And he came back to me a couple weeks later and said, you know, I've had a couple general contractors come in and take a look at these walls. And, you know, basically to make them any better, I would have to rip them apart and do this and do that. And it's going to cost me $5,000 and I'm not spending $5,000, 
you know, you're only paying $1,200 a month in rent. And I said, okay, that makes sense. So anyways, you know, I went back to running my software company, but it just kept, it kept nagging at me. I just figured there was, there's gotta be a solution here. There needs to be a product where it's an easy application. You know, at the time, paint seemed like the most reasonable solution. So I actually shut down the software company and moved back to Massachusetts and started trying to find a paint chemist to help me develop this formula. I found a group in Connecticut that actually had a, a small lab as well as a manufacturing facility. So they did some of their own in-house R&D and then made their own products and then also manufactured it for a couple other companies. So they seemed like a good potential partner, put together an agreement, spent about a year and a half doing R&D. And then last year, we launched what we call now our soundproofing paint. So it's a thick, dense coating. It's an elastomeric, so it's a latex-based product. It's applied to, or at least the attended application, is shared walls. So the interior shared walls between hotel rooms, apartment units, bedrooms, condos, offices, etc. So putting this product on both sides of a shared wall, thickness of a credit card, will get you somewhere between an 8 and a 10 decibel reduction. So... You know, in most cases, that is going to dramatically reduce the sound that's coming through. It's not going to eliminate it in all cases, but it's not necessarily, you know, a fix all solution for every situation. What I want to ask you, Jonah, is a little bit about how you're changing the perception within industry. Like a lot of people listening may not be able to relate to you being a startup, but they can relate to the issue of having to change perception or change the mentality of let's say the contractor or the rest of your audience that you're targeting. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the hurdles that you've run into in launching this product to get people to change their mind, to consider using it and, and what you're doing to overcome those objections? So in terms of hurdles, we could probably spend four or five hours talking about all the hurdles we had to overcome. <laughs> I mean, like you said, it's there's very few startups in the building materials industry. Most of the innovation is coming from your large five, 10, 15, $20 billion companies that have, you know, global R&D and global distribution. And the cool thing is that we're actually partnering with some of them. You know, we've already become an approved vendor with PPG and Sherwin-Williams. We are in talks with St. Gobain, USG, Shaw's, and a few other companies about potential partnerships because they're also in the building materials industry in terms of us and what we had to overcome. So, when we first got started, we created the product, we did some field testing, we hired independent acoustical consultants to come in and do testing on the walls before and after we applied product. And that was sort of our validation that the product worked. Once we had those reports, they looked good. You know, I made the determination that the market we could penetrate the fastest and had the most opportunity was gonna be the hotel industry focused mostly on upcoming renovations. You know, so there's 60,000 hotels in the U.S., and I figured that we should be going after the top 25 to 30 percent of them. You know, so the, the the nicer hotels, the premium hotels, the ones that are charging $200 a night and up. Well, I ran into you at uh, IBS, and didn't you go and meet with one of the hotel owners or one of the hotel facility managers? I was meeting with uh, the Venetian while I was out there and MGM. Yeah. And how did that conversation go? It went great. You know, they're interested in the product. The challenge is that the only time they can really rationalize using this is when they're renovating. And those renovations are only happening every eight to 10 years. So if you miss it, you know, say they renovated in 2017, you got no chance of getting into that property for another eight to 10 years. 
Now, I mean, the good thing is there's thousands of other hotels that are renovating every year. We just have to be really good at identifying them in advance and getting to the decision makers, you know, while they still have time or at least budget left, you know, to get us in there. And the only way that's really going to happen, at least on an existing property, in my opinion, is when we go in and do a mock-up. So a mock-up is when we, you know, we ship product there, we hire a contractor or we rent a sprayer ourselves. We go to the property, we take two rooms out of inventory for a couple of days, we test the walls before we do anything to them, and then we apply our product, and then we you know, come back a day or two later and test them again, and we record all the data and then put together what we call a project summary report and give that to the, you know, the hotel ownership group or the management team, whoever it might be. Sometimes they go out and hire their own independent consultant to come in and do what we do. You know, obviously I'm not an accredited or a certified acoustical consultant. I have most of the same equipment. You know, my decibel meter or my sound meter is a thousand dollars. The ones they use are like five and ten thousand dollars. But I mean, you know, they're they're all pretty sensitive. But anyways, so we did a project a couple of weeks ago down in Charlotte with Marriott Corporate. So this is the the VP of engineering for Marriott for North America is the one that's, you know essentially picked this property for us. We've been talking to them for over a year about getting something going. So they hired their own acoustical consultant to come in and test the walls. And then I went down there and sprayed them. And then 30 days from now, when the product is fully cured, they'll come back and have that same consultant test the walls again. And if we hit the numbers that we need to hit, then we could start to you know do business with Marriott on a much, much larger level. And not only for renovations, but also for new construction. So your process of overcoming objections is just literally show the product in action, like explaining it, pitching it is not doing it. You know, I need to go in and show the decision makers, this is how the product performs before and after any questions. Yes, it does depend on the project. So the larger renovations are typically going to have an A and D firm involved and they might even consult with an acoustical consultant. So for instance, the Omni in Austin, Texas has a renovation coming up in five or six months. So I got in touch with them last summer. They had their director of engineering reach out to me. We had a conversation. They said that they, you know, the hotel was 15 or 20 years old. I forget exactly, but noise complaints has been one of their biggest ongoing issues. And, you know, they've looked at trying to solve it before, but you know, once you have existing walls in a hotel with 300 rooms, you know, going in and ripping 300 or 600 walls apart, you're talking millions and millions of dollars. So they couldn't come up with any solution that ever made sense. And I mean, that's one of the selling points with our product is we're a non-invasive solution. So I like to say that we're really the only non-invasive solution that can add six or more STC points to a wall. So that's sort of our our little tagline for people that know STC and STC stands for sound transmission class. But with the Omni Austin, so all their design work is done in-house. They Omni is, you know, they have 100 hotels around the country. They have their own in-house A&D firm uh, or design team. So we talked to them. We talked to their director of engineering and everyone else that we had to. And the determination was that we needed to go to the property and do a mock-up to prove to them that the product worked. So I hired a contractor out of Austin, ship product, you know, the same process we usually do, went down there. I mean, we'll bring in a chair or a table. We'll set it up in the middle of the room. I'll put my speaker on that chair or table, you know, four, five, six feet away from the wall, and we'll play it at 85 or 90 decibels. And we'll play, I'll actually play a podcast usually. So it's just two people having a conversation, right? I mean, two people, their voices is what you normally hear in a hotel room. So it's very realistic. 
So we did that test for them. So we did 85 or 90 decibels podcast before, and then went into the other room as a, you know, as a group. I mean, there's four or five of us that all go in the other room because I want them to hear the difference. And, you know, I, I forget the exact numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but let's just say there was 48 decibels coming through. Okay. We go into the other room, we turn off the music. I tell everyone to be quiet. And then we see what a quiet room actually is. And in that case, a quiet room was probably 36 decibels. So, you know, when you play 85 or 90 decibels of a podcast in one room, you have enough noise coming in to that you're 10 decibels above a quiet room. So that's what that guest would be hearing that was trying to sleep at night. They're going to hear that 10 decibels. So what we do is then we come in and we apply product to both sides of the wall. And then the next day we do the exact same test, same podcast. You know, everything is set up the exact same way played 85 or 90 decibels, all go into the other room together. And in that scenario, you could not hear anything coming through. And they were like totally shocked. Joe, who's the director of engineering, actually said, I can't believe it works this well. I think it must have shut off. So we're like, okay, well, let's just just go back there just just in case. Let's go be sure. So we walk into the other room. And as soon as you open up the door and go out into the hallway, you can hear the noise coming from that room. So you open up the door and you're like, no, it's still playing at 85 or 90 decibels. So with that, with those results, with Joe's testimonial, you know, the design team put us into the specifications. So we are in the specs for their upcoming renovation. Wow. And it'll be, you know, it'll be about a $250,000 job for us. That's great. And if I can go back real quickly, you mentioned that the Omni Hotel in Austin reached out to you. Is that what you said? Is that right? Yes. How did they find you? Like, how are these companies finding you? Like, cause I imagine they're not going like sound proof paint on Google. Like what are you doing to get them to find you? So that is one of the challenging parts of trying to grow this business is no one's looking for us. We have to go find them. So, you know, there's some things that we've been able to do on a limited budget as we continue to close more deals, as we raise more money from investors, we'll obviously be able to ramp up some of our marketing efforts and do more trade shows. Like, I think that's really where we're going to have a big impact is the trade shows. But up until now, it's been, I mean, literally cold calling, cold emailing, you know, some content, some social. We tried doing some paid search, but it got us mostly consumer. You know, the guy that runs a hotel or owns a hotel, he's like you said, he's not on Google looking for soundproofing solutions. He's calling an expert. You know, he's calling an architect. He's calling an acoustical consultant. Maybe he's calling a general contractor, but he's not on Google looking for a solution. So, you know, we have to continue to reach out to, I guess, what I call them, you know, the spheres of influence for the, you know, for these these industries. So once again, I mean, that's why I'm so excited about working with PPG and Sherwin, because they already have you know, huge teams inside of their companies that do nothing but call on architects and designers all day long. And now that they have a product in their, you know, portfolio that they can solicit to those architects and designers is going to be good for us. And the reason we've been able to form those partnerships is because they don't have anything competitive. So, you know, if we were just some other paint company making some, you know, latex architectural paint and trying to get into PPG or Sherwin, it would never happen because, it, you know, it would compete with their existing products. But since we have something completely different that's not being, you know, that's not competing with any of the proprietary products, they are very eager to work with us. But they don't approve many third party vendors on an annual basis. I mean, it, it doesn't happen very often. It's a pretty small group of companies that get approved. 
only because when you're a $45 billion company, you have so many of your own products, it's hard for anyone to create something that isn't competing with you already. So thankfully, we were able to find this little niche that no one else is actually in. It's really interesting hearing you talk about how you land new projects. First of all, I would like to refer you to my landlord for the first apartment where I lived (laughs) in Europe. One night I was going to bed and I literally heard my neighbor clear their throat. Like that loud. That's 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 about as bad as the hotel that I went to in San Francisco. It was so bad. It was the worst like cross noise crossover I've ever experienced in my life. I digress. Can you tell us about what your process was to launch your product? What did it look like to land your very first gig? So about a year and a half ago is when we were setting up the launch. I mean, obviously, we had the field test results. We built the website. You know, I didn't have any capital back then. I put all my money into essentially the R&D and the testing. So I was pretty much out of money. So I figured the cheapest way to launch this company with the sales force would be to bring on independent sales reps, you know, manufacturers reps. I now know that that was somewhat of a mistake because these guys are, you know, they're good at selling, but they're going to be selling a lot of products. You know, you're just going to get a small portion of their time. And in the case like ours, where it's a long sales cycle, you know, these guys are going to lose interest and motivation very quickly. So after after doing the independent sales rep model for five or six months, I realized it was just it just wasn't working for us. So I went out and started raising capital. And now, you know, back to one of the earlier things we said, I mean, there's not many startups in the building materials industry, which means there's not a lot of investors in the building materials industry. And that was a big, big challenge for me and something that I, I really underestimated. I figured you know, I created the soundproofing paint. Everyone's going to jump at the opportunity to invest in this. But if you go to your traditional angel investors, most of them have made their money in technology or healthcare or consumer products. And that's kind of where they stick to, you know, that's what they know. And that's what they're more comfortable investing in and doing due diligence in and et cetera. So I really was having a hard time raising capital. I finally raised my first $100,000 check last August from a big real estate developer in Boston. You know, that allowed me to go out and hire a director of marketing and then a couple of salespeople. And then I raised another $100,000 and another $100,000. And altogether, we've raised about four fifty dollars so far. And we're actually, we're in the process of trying to raise another five or 600000 What's cool is I was invited to a building materials accelerator in Silicon Valley in two weeks. So plug and play, which is known for tech accelerators, has sort of branched out into these other industry accelerators supported by large companies in those specific industries. So there's eight or 10 companies that support each accelerator. So there's, I think, 100 companies that pitched. I think it's down to like 25 or 30 right now. And then I go out to Silicon Valley in a couple of weeks to pitch to try to get into that 12 or 13 company cohort. But it's supported by Sherwin-Williams, USG, Mohawk, and a few other companies in the building materials industry. And then while I'm out there, I have meetings set up with each of those companies. So... Those companies are obviously very supportive of this program. They look at it as sort of like a a corporate innovation accelerator for themselves to either find companies to partner with or possibly acquire or invest in. So Sherwin, USG, I have meetings set up with both of them while I'm out there. It's someone on their innovation team slash corp dev team. So, you know, and even though I'm approved by Sherwin-Williams, having someone like that, you know, with my, you know, have my back, 
I think would really help accelerate what we're trying to do at Sherwin. So I'm excited. I mean, and if I get into a program like that, I think it'd be very good for, for SoundGuard in many ways. Zach, how bad do you want to be a fly on the wall there? I was just going to say, do you want someone to travel with you? You need like <laughs> no. someone to carry your luggage. Is there I'll any get reason you, I'll run you need get you an coffee. agency sponsor? I'm a really, I'm a really good <laughs> hype man at these uh, VC yeah, meetings. You actually are. <laughs> you would be great. Well, I mean, I think that so that I put my slide deck together last night and had to send it over to them. So two weeks in advance, they want the deck, which is a little stressful because, of course, after you send it, you're like, oh crap, I wish I put this in there or that in there, but now it's too late. But I only have five minutes. You know, yeah. so like I'm going to oh, I'm going to be up there pitching to be in this accelerator with all these great corporate companies all in the room, all acting as judges. And I get five minutes to blow them away. Is it kind of like Shark Tank for building? Yeah. Tools? Yeah. In a way. So, cool. I mean, That's there's no cool. there's no guarantee of getting an investment, even if you get into the cohort, because sure, it's not sure. set up as your traditional three month mm. accelerator where they give you you know, $200,000 for 8% and then blah, blah, blah. You know, it's sort of like that, but it's only part-time. So I would only have to be out there, I think three times a month for three months. Obviously I have to be available for calls and meetings or whatever else, but you do have that demo day at the end of it. And during that three month process, either plug and play or any of those other partners can step up and make an investment, you know, put together a strategic partnership, whatever it might be. So, I mean, I'm hoping that we can raise some money from some of those other building materials companies and sort of finish out this million dollar seed round. So that would allow me to get back to work, building the team, do more marketing, get into more trade shows. So I will say the one of the biggest mistakes we made in the beginning was not doing lab testing soon enough. So a lot of the big uh, projects that we're trying to get into, there's a big hotel project getting ready to be started in Miami, Kansas City, Seattle, Denver, San Francisco. There's like eight or 10 of them that we're either specified into already or trying to get specified in. And we've been told that the only way it's going to happen is if we have lab test results. So, you know, in the beginning of starting this company, I figured the low hanging fruit was going to be these hotel renovations. And in some ways I was right, because if you can identify the right ones in time, you can go there and do a mock-up, prove to them that the product works, and then you can get into the specifications. The challenge for us has been the strength of the economy. So four or five of these projects that were actually supposed to happen this past winter have been postponed for at least a year until the economy slows down. So I thought the strong economy would help us because, you know, revenues are high, you know, income's high, more cash in the bank, more money to spend on a renovation, but they won't even start the renovation until their occupancy rates dip below a certain point, which I guess makes sense. I mean, they don't want to give up revenue while they're renovating. We need the occupancy rates at the top hotels to dip down into like the 70s before they'll go forward with these renovations. So that's interesting. Yeah. So you're the only guy rooting for a recession. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, <laughs> I know it's, I feel bad saying that, but in some ways it's true. So, you know, we have put a little bit more focus on new construction over the last six months while we're waiting for some of these hotel renovations to come through. But you have zero chance of getting into new construction without lab test results. So Jenna, what advice would you give a manufacturer who's listening, who's maybe they're planning for a product launch, or maybe they're an established brand, or they could be an upstart? You know, quite honestly, I, I think the life you've lived to date in this industry is interesting because you've done everything from ground up. 
But what advice would you give somebody who's about to launch a product, regardless of where they are in their company's life cycle? So what's their capital situation? Do they have to go out and raise money? Mm, let's say it's just a traditional manufacturer. They, they don't have to raise capital. They have an existing brand. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? It's hard. I mean, there's so many little pieces to the puzzle, right? You have to, you need product market fit. You need to figure out who the customer is, who helps the customer make decisions, and then who actually gets the product to the customer. So, you know, contractors, like a lot of people said, oh, why are you going after contractors? Contractors are not part of the decision-making process. Painting contractors don't help a, a customer pick a product like this. They're the ones applying it, so they need to be trained and certified to apply the product, but they have no part in the decision-making process. You know, that it really comes, for us at least, it comes down to the architects, the designers, and the acoustical consultants. That's really who's helping our customer make the decision. So, you know, I wish, personally, I wish I'd gone back and done the lab testing sooner and put a bigger emphasis on A and D first, rather than, and try to get into new construction from the beginning and then let it sort of flow down into the renovations rather than doing it the other way. So I think I, I just, I think I underestimated, I, I figured if I went to a hotel and did a mock-up and, you know, the general manager, the director of engineering was really impressed that we would have a good shot of getting to that renovation, I completely miscalculated that they really have no part in the decision. They're not writing the checks. They're not designing the specs. So the opinion of the general manager for, you know, whether or not they like our product really means nothing, you know, over the long term. I was going to the wrong people. You know, I was trying to create like an ally with that general manager. At the end of the day, the owner of that property doesn't care what the general manager thinks. You know, <laughs> he's not relying on them for advice when it comes to acoustical products. So that's interesting. I mean, so I and then I definitely underestimated how expensive it was going to be to get this company off the ground, do all the R&D, do all the testing, start building a sales team. You know, I had sales guys on payroll for many, many months before they even came close to getting a deal. So, you know, I thought that a good sales rep that knew how to hustle, you know, making five or $6,000 a month on salary would go out there and find a way to get, to generate some revenue within a hundred days. So that was sort of my goal for them was a hundred thousand dollars of revenue within a hundred days. And now I know that was way too optimistic. <laughs> so, so all of my, you know, financial projections and everything else was sort of based on these sales reps being able to generate revenue within a hundred days. And none of them even came close. You know, it was just a much, much longer sales cycle than we expected. I mean, take the Omni, for instance. I mean, I started talking to them last July. We did the mock-up last September, and we won't see anything from them until December or January. So you're talking like a full 18-month sales cycle. And there's other projects. There's, there's a hotel in Denver. I did a mock-up for them over a year ago, and they won't be renovating until spring of 2020 at the earliest. So you're talking a two-year sales cycle. So... You know, I think I've I've actually trimmed down the sales team and I'm going to start rebuilding it with different types of people, you know, people that I think have better and stronger connections with the architects and designers and the developers. So I think when you're in the building materials industry, it's such a uh, it really is hard to break in and it's hard to get people to think about paint in a different way. You know, every, for 150 years, everyone's just thought of paint as and aesthetics, right? I mean, what does it look like on your wall? What color is it? What sheen is it? And now we're asking them to think of paint in a performance aspect and, but also price it in a different way. You know, paint is, is typically like 25 cents a square foot 
and we are eight to 10 times more expensive than paint. Now, yeah. par part of this, because we're putting it on eight to 10 times thicker. So if you actually look at our product on like a wet mill to wet mill basis, we're actually probably the same cost as regular paint. But when you're putting it on 10 times thicker, you obviously need, <laughs> you're gonna be 10 times more expensive. That's great. Well, awesome. Well, Jonah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. For anybody who wants to get in touch with you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So the website is soundguard.io and my email address is jonah at soundguard.io. So feel free to reach out to me. I actually answer all the live chats from the website. So if you're on the website one day and you have a question, just hit the live chat button. And you'll probably get me. Awesome. Well, this is great. Well, we're, again, we really appreciate you coming to the show. And if you want more great content like this, go to venvio.com. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit venvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.